entrepreneurship is great, but can also seem overwhelming. Wouldn't you like to know the pros, opportunities, and problems with different business and investment strategies before you jump in? Well then, welcome to Entrepreneurship Exposed. We are here. We are back with another episode of Entrepreneurship Exposed with your guy Bees. And yes, this is going to be fire. Yes, sir. Woo! Listen, listen. This is Entrepreneurship Exposed, where we expose everything related to entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur, the strategies that exist that you could try to you know go down, the things that you can do. We talk about investments. We do all of this with a twist of business acquisitions. But today we focus in on business acquisitions. And I got a, an amazing guest. He and I have been trying to tap in to do different things for quite some time. Yes. But it's finally here that I got him on the podcast too. So give a warm welcome for Shahid Bailey, aka young Reginald Lewis. What's good, my brother? How you feeling? What's going on, man? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling really good, man. Really excited. Finally connecting with my brother Bees, man. <laughs> this won't be the last time, I promise you, man. We got a lot of things that we're gonna be doing together. So truly, truly excited. Really, really excited right now. That's what's up. And Shahid doesn't have, had an issue, some technical issues, so we couldn't get on video, but at least y'all are hearing them on audio because we could not let this episode slip. No, had that, to that, that was a non-negotiable, man. That was a non-negotiable. <laughs> I had to be here with my brother, man. I, I made sure that I cleared out my day just for this. So there we I, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. That's what's up. Now, before before the people, you tell the people a little bit about yourself, you know, who you are, what what's your story? We got to start with the the first thing. Sure. When I first saw this guy online, I was like, yo, is that Reginald Lewis's son? I was like, what's going on? <laughs> I was like, I thought he only had two daughters. What happened? And then, you know, I realized what he was doing. He was yes, using sir. it as that's extra motivation. Most Absolutely. people don't talk about Reginald Lewis. And before I let Shahid introduce himself, who's Reginald Lewis? Y'all may be asking. Well, if you are... If you've watched any episodes of, of Entrepreneurship Exposed, you've probably heard me mention his name. This book right here, Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? It's the story of Reginald Lewis's life, the first black billionaire in America. In modern times, first black billionaire, and most of us don't know his name. That is unfortunate. And how did he become a billionaire? Through LBOs, leveraged buyouts. So we're going to talk about why you chose that name, that model, sure. and everything. But first, tell the people more about who you are and what's your background. All right. So <clears throat> outside of the whole young Reginald Lewis handle, my name is Shahid Bailey, a uh, 35-year-old entrepreneur from New Jersey, turning 36 next month on the 5th. Mm. So really excited about that. Right. Proud father of Beast, Don't Fall Out Your Chair, six daughters. Yeah, yeah, six daughters. Been Damn, married. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, been married for six years to my beautiful wife, who is a huge inspiration as to where I am today and why I'm still going. I'll get into that story a little bit later as well. Yeah. But, uh, six beautiful daughters, born and raised in originally in Orange, New Jersey, still in New Jersey right now, and decided that you know finance was kind of the way that you know i was going to kind of shape my life and my family's life right so mm. i'll dive a little bit deeper into my story as well as to how i even ended up 
here today. But it all started, in, you know, in a long journey from Wall Street to meeting, you know, this great guy named Clifford Reed, how he changed my life and kind of like how I started moving into, you know, the direction that I'm in today. Mm, that's what's up, man. Now, but so, so did you always know that you wanted to get into mergers and acquisitions or? No, so it wasn't. Yeah. So it wasn't. So I never knew that I really wanted to be in the mergers and acquisitions space. I always knew I wanted to be in the finance space. I wanted to be a banker. Right. So Mm. that was my goal. And funny enough, I had my first daughter when I was, you know, really, really young and tried to go to college. I finished a semester at Berkeley. And then, you know, it was one of those situations like you got to provide for your family, right? Grew up primarily, I grew up in a single family home. My father passed away at 36 from colon cancer. So I really didn't get a chance to see, you know, what a man was like in the house, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> to the steps to success. I didn't see it. My, my mother tried to, as best as she could. Everybody in my family was financially illiterate. So there was no talks about bank accounts, savings accounts and CDs or any of those. Those conversations never happened in my house. It was always just survival, survival, survival and whatever you had to do to survive. And I had a different mindset. I just knew that I wanted better. So I was looking into different books and, you know, I was saying, you know, I'm going to be you know, the next Donald Trump and all of my friends are laughing at me like, man, you're not going to be no Donald Trump. Let's go talk about rapping the basketball, the football or boxing. Cause I, I was into boxing too. and just knew that that wasn't the path for me. Right. So went into wall street at, at 19, walked up and down wall street with my, with my resume, got into a firm, but the firm told me that I had to shave my beard and my mustache. So I had to have the clean face. And I'm, I, you know, from a young age, I said, I, I will never compromise, you know, so, mm-hmm. I, you know, I kindly turned them down, feeling depressed. Mind you, I had a really baggy suit. I wasn't tailored, anything. <laughs> I'm walking down Wall Street, and I get to the end of Wall Street, 110 Wall. And that's on the left side, right by the water. On the right side at the time, it was a Citibank. So out mm-hmm. comes this. So I go upstairs, and I hand off my resume to this company called Reed & Rudiger. Now, the whole time I'm thinking, is, you know, two white guys that own the firm, nothing wrong with that. But I'm thinking it's two white guys that own the firm. No way they're going to call me back. So I'm downstairs. Luckily, I didn't leave yet. Out comes this big, bald, black dude with this nice suit on. I'm like, who the heck is that? So we we ended up locking eyes and talking. And he didn't tell me who he was at the time. And I just kind of told him my story. You know, I said, hey, I really wanted to be on Wall Street. Uh, I just dropped off my resume upstairs at Rita Rudiger. He did something that no, nobody ever did for me at that time anyway. So mm-hmm. as I'm telling him my story, he goes, he just stops me. He says, wait. He goes across the street. Again, I was a Citibank at the time. He comes out of Citibank with $600 in cash. And he hands me the cash. And he told me, he said, let this be the last time anybody ever gives you anything. Ooh. He hired me. He paid for my schooling for me to get, it was right on Trinity, to get to get my Series 7. Long story Ooh. short, that first year, that was Clifford Reed, by the way. I'm still good friends with him. Oh, that's Clifford Reed. That's Clifford oh, Reed right. right there. So that's Clifford Reed right there. And that first year on Wall Street, I made $80,000, the most money I've ever made in my life at the time. And then, you know, I started getting good at it. And then 2008 hit, kind of like the recession hit. And, you know, before that even happened, he told me, he said, look, you know, this is about to happen. You're very smart. Take what I taught you and kind of go into traditional banking. Went into traditional banking. That that was a glorified sales job. Didn't really like it as much as I thought I would. But I met mm-hmm. some really amazing people along the way. Fast forward to 2011, 
I was, I think I was having my, either my second or third child at the time. Got in a bad car accident coming from, if anybody isn't familiar, familiar with New Jersey, I was coming from a, a strip club out in uh, Pasek, <laughs> out of Pasek, New Jersey for one of my good friend's birthdays. I had just bought a, a 525 BMW, so I was really excited. They didn't want anybody to drive it. Well, I don't even know if I was big on like Uber or Lyft at the time, if he was even out. Uh, but that was in 2011. I mean, this is what kind of changed everything for me. I had a bad car accident and my job literally fired me. The bank fired me because I couldn't make it to work. I mm-hmm. uh, didn't have any transportation. And, I, and I, I put it in my mind. That was the last time that anybody will ever have the opportunity to fire me. Mm, there we go. So that, that's powerful. That's powerful, man. Because yeah. you, you, you people often suffer through life suffer through things that's happening to them in life and figure, well, there's nothing I can do about it. Right. And that's a terrible mindset to have because it is always something that we could do. We can get out of the situation. They may not be comfortable initially, but on the, in the long run, we will be more at peace. Right. So I'm I'm, I'm happy hearing you saying this, how you did it. And, you know, made that decision. So, so keep going. Tell me what happened next now. Yeah. So what happened next was I, I grew up on a street called McChesney street in orange, New Jersey. So I, I, you know, I named my first company McChesney street lending capital. So McChesney street lending capital was an alternative lending company. And I, I learned about the alternative lending industry from a, from a, uh, from a gentleman named Jeremy Zaglay, who again, I'm still friends with today. He's he, his offices on park Avenue in New York. And he was telling me about alternative financing. And I'm like, what's alternative financing? What is that? So he was like, yeah, you know, you can, you know, you can give these short-term loans to people and things like that. So merch, merchant cash advances at mm. the time. So I started my first merchant cash advance company, uh, failed horribly, horribly bees. All right. Failed horribly. I went through a few name changes from, from Michigan street lending capital. I learned a lot from that. Went into another company called Investo share. From InvestoShare, we got a little bit more experience. I was able to hire a few people and then started really getting the hang of, you know, the merchant cash advance space. Uh-huh. Um, so I was doing lending for, for up until probably like 2000 and I want to say 2017, 2017 by myself and a few others. And then mm-hmm. I opened up a company called Greenpoint Capital. But in 2018 is where it really started into the whole mergers and acquisitions. So I met a I met a gentleman by the name of Carl Dorval, who owned a publicly traded company called GEX Management, who is still in existence today out in Texas. And he initially came to me for some financing for his company. And he was telling me that he's looking to do an acquisition. So I'm like, you know what? I helped with the acquisition. I have no problem. So it was a healthcare mm-hmm. staffing company that was based out in California. Actually, the person that owned the healthcare staffing company. Her son is one of the one of the owners of Triller. Bobby. Yeah. So I, I spoke with him a lot. I'll get into the Triller story too. Yeah. Uh, but I spoke with Bobby and his mother. They decided to sell. And Carl was so impressed with me. He said, listen, I need you to come on with my chief investment officer, man. Help us with the acquisition. That one acquisition took us from three million to 30 million in revenue. Just that one acquisition Ooh. with positive with positive EBITDA. So Mm. We were really excited. Then we started doing a few more acquisitions. If you see, if you go on GEX right now, the stick uh, stock ticker is GXXM. You'll see that I'm on the board there. And I moved into a more board role after that. I hired another CEO named Sri Vandamali, who again is a good friend of mine. But that's what got us into mergers and acquisitions. And then I found another company that was sort of like a, almost like similar to an Uber East, but out in Texas called Craves24. I had invested in that. 
And that's that's kind of that's what kind of got me going, right? So then I started doing a few more acquisitions and started investing in a lot of companies. Like now, a restaurant. I'll get into my portfolio, but I want to stay on. I want to stay on track on the story of how I even got to where I am today. Uh, so then, X came out, right? If, yeah. if anybody doesn't know what a SPAC is, that's pretty much like a special purpose acquisition company, blank check company. A lot of companies were starting to do these SPACs, but I wanted to do a different kind of SPAC. Right. So the SPAC I wanted to do was primarily focused on minority companies and a minority founder, because I realized I did the research and I saw that there's not a ton of us, one, as billionaires and two, that run Fortune 500 companies. And not yeah. only that, but not even but publicly traded companies, there's not a ton of uh, black owned, you know, black CEOs. Yeah. So I said to myself, you know what, there has to be a company out there that's worthy enough to go public via a reverse merger or SPAC. Mm. Went out, we were able to raise you know, 2.1 million. We were looking to do 4.6 million dollars. We were able to successfully raise 2.1 million dollars, but couldn't kind of bridge that gap. And one of my mentors told me, he said, Shahid, the best way to do this and to kind of prove it out is to go out and have these sponsors, right? Put some of your own money in there, but also go and raise some money from people that, you know, have a little bit more experience than you, right? We were able to connect with one of the largest Black-owned investment banks who we told our story to, and they, they, you know, they kind of validated what we were looking to do because they said there aren't any. Luckily for us, you know, it didn't fall through the way we wanted it to fall through because of, yeah. um, you know, if you look at what's going on with SPACs right now, all of the people that went, you know, that merged via SPACs, their, their stock is down tremendously, right? Yeah, so yeah. kind of good that we didn't do that. So I said to myself, you know what? I'm just going to continue doing, you know, doing what I'm doing. I'm just going to go buy more companies. So I bought another publicly traded company. And, and so during the pandemic, you know, I was still doing, I was helping some people with some more financing, still managing my small portfolio that I had. And then, you know, I, after the, after, during the pandemic, I said, you know, I'm really going to just go full throttle into just buying more companies. So I just went, yeah. you know, just going crazy. Just, I had bought like just in 2020, 2021 alone, I bought like seven companies. I just started buying up everything from call center to energy company, another public publicly traded company. So I just started just, just buying, 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 buying. The public get, traded company? Yeah. How so what All is right. the process looking like for going for a publicly traded company? Got it. So publicly traded companies, you know, obviously the thing you want to do there is you want to buy or have controlling interests or the controlling shares, right? Mm-hmm. So I primarily focus on uh, companies that trade over the counter, whether it's a pink or a QM or QB company, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for companies that's fully reporting. Now, when I say fully reporting, that means that they produce transparency in terms of their financials from their their Ks and their Qs and their quarterly mm-hmm. reports and their 8Ks and any type of public information, right? Mm-hmm. So I go after those companies and I find CEOs or owners of those companies that are either burned out or they, they can't find the way to grow. So what I'll mm-hmm. do is I'll come in with my strategy. And in this particular case, I kind of knew the owner of this company right here. And I told him my strategy. And he said, Shahid, you are the guy to push this company forward. So mm-hmm. he, so we bought his uh, controlling interest into his shares. I think it was a little over $7 million that we, that we purchased it for. Mm-hmm. So it came with, you know, I had to restructure the board, which is not easy. And yeah. having controlling interest allows me to do what I need to do, right? So even with my current strategy right now, I always look to go and acquire controlling interest in the company. So acquiring those controlling interest shares allows me to restructure the board the way I want to. It also allows that nobody can, you know, the way that the shares convert, no one, no matter how many shareholders can vote me out. 
Mm, right? Is so nobody, yeah, that's very critical. So that's funny you, know, you said that was gonna be <laughs> my next question because yeah, I've so, seen it happen too many times. Correct. So you know, so then we then I, I create a different class of shares, and only you know a few people have those shares, and I control majority of those shares, like preferred. preferred yeah, yeah, so I have to so I have all of the preferred shares, and the way that my convert preferred shares convert to common is like ten thousand to one, right? Yeah. So there's no there's no way possible that anybody can vote me out of my position. So, yeah. and that allows me to kind of push forth my um my strategy. Yeah. And then after I do that, right? After after I, you know, my strategy kind of works, then I can, you know, I can kind of convert those shares, those preferred into common, and then I can offer those to, you know, the shareholders as almost like a like a distribution almost. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of what I want to do, and I put together the board that I like, people that I trust, that kind of understand the vision that I want. So, and that's mainly what you're looking for when you're putting together the board. The board is that is what I'm looking for. Plus, with within the realm of your vision, that's correct. And I want somebody that has a ton of experience as well. So it it, it kind of lends to that credibility of what we're trying to do, right? Uh Uh, Because my goal is now, you know, normally what you want to do is you want to go from you know, an OTC company to a NASDAQ company, but you don't just automatically just jump to NASDAQ. You jump to, you go to what's called NASDAQ CM and in the NASDAQ CM market, you know, what they do with those are companies that's looking to just raise capital. So, you know, Sprint was there. Mm-hmm. Muscle Maker Grill is currently there. A lot of these companies are on the NASDAQ CM and then you go to the regular NASDAQ. So that's kind of like the, the, you know, the, the transition of what we're doing. So we're building that out right now. Very expensive to run a publicly traded company. You know, of you got to spend, you know, 30000 a quarter just on your audits. And anytime you want to produce anything like a K or something like that, or any, and, and it, 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 it makes you become transparent with everything that you do. Yeah, because yeah. You, everything you do, you have to, you know, you have to put out a public notice like it was called the 8K. So... That's the way we went, right? So acquired the publicly traded company and started kind of building that out, which I'm still doing right now. And we're almost where I want it to be. I say Q2 of next year, of this year, will be exactly where we want to be. And then we can start on that road to, I call it the road to NASDAQ. So that's where we are. So let's let's jump ahead. and then Sure. Back, right? No problem. No problem. So jumping ahead. Where have you reached right now with your total portfolio? So my total portfolio right now we're a little, we're close to 30 million in revenue across mm. all my companies, right? And we're on our way to 100 million. And I'll show you how, I'm going to tell you how we get to 100 million, right? So I just recently acquired a, a body armor defense company out of New Hampshire uh, for $3.5 million, right? $3.5 million. Initially, it was 10 million. And then we kind of talked them down to 3.5. And the reason we talked them down is because in 2020, he had an anomaly year of 98 million in revenue. Now, when I say an anomaly year, because there was more COVID. And then when you go, when I do my due diligence, I do, I, I'm, I'm very, very thorough when it comes to my due diligence. I look at, you know, five, six, seven years, eight years, 10 years of, you know, financials, profit and loss. I want monthly P&Ls and balance sheets so I can see that cash flow, kind of see, you know, what months are great, which months are not. You know, yeah. so that way I can project, you know, how the cash flow is going to go and everything like that, or the payback months when I'm going to take some type of debt financing. So I try to look at all of that stuff, and then I, you know, I get their accounts receivables, accounts payable, everything, right? So mm-hmm. seeing, so seeing that, I noticed, I noticed that that year was an anomaly, and I, and you know, and I, and I, I went back, and at the, it was a broker at the time, mm-hmm. and funny, I, I lied to you, not he fired his broker after we had this conversation, and he and I started dealing <laughs> directly, 
I said, you're never going to get this building, this company sold at 10 million. And here's why. And I pointed out all of that. And I said, this is why you're never going to sell it at 10 million. And I backed away for like months. I backed away. And then, um, you know, he and I got back in connection and he said, hey, I'll sell it to you at 5 million. I said, okay, 5 million is pretty good. I said, so what I'll do is this, because, you know, just kind of rolling into my strategy a little bit. And I'm sorry from all over the place. But it's kind of rolling into my strategy as well. So my strategy is, we, you know, we look for controlling interest in a company. We also look at certain characteristics, right, when we look to acquire a company. And one of the things that I, I like to do is I like to have the owner of the company keep some type of equity. And the reason I do that is because it helps with any type of attrition that there may be. And it also keeps some goodwill intact as well. Because some of you know a lot of these companies, you know, I acquire third, fourth generation companies. A lot of that is goodwill. Right. So if the owners leave, some of that goodwill leaves customers become families. So you want to try to keep them around. So I structure it in a way where, hey, listen, I want you to not only stay, but, you know, benefit from the upside, because now you have somebody like me that's going to come in and grow the company from and take it from X to here. Right. Mm -hmm. So I want to keep them on board and, you know, keep them on for the ride, give them some cash, let them take some cash off the table and then stay on you know, as an equity partner. But again, we have to have controlling interest. And there's a very, there's a reason why I want controlling interest. So, so then, so I started looking at the new financials again and I got some year to date financials and I built out a model and I said, still not worth $5 million. And I said, listen, we can do it $3.5 million. This is, you know, where I want to be. And he agreed. And it was, it was pretty easy for him to agree because prior to 2020, he did like one point something million in revenue. Right. So you go one point, you go from one point, I think it was like 1.2 million to 98 million in revenue. The guy took 30 million off the table in his pocket. He was, Mm. if, if had it not been for COVID, he probably would have never made that money in a million years. So it was an easy deal for him. Plus his wife wanted him to, you know, kind of go home and just be with the family. They made the money that they probably would have never made anyway. And then I kind of built my vision around what he's already built. I said, Hey, listen, you're a defense company. You know, I'm a minority. I can come in with my minority status, become MBE certified, and now we can take advantage of some of the contracts that you would never be able to take advantage of because you're mm-hmm. not a minority. And then kind of building on, you know, my strategy of how we can stabilize the company at 20, 25 million, as opposed to just having it one year, two, going right. from 98 million to 30 million to 22 million, and then kind of trending downward. I want to stabilize it at 20, 22 million and keep the profit margins where they are. And I showed him a plan of how to stabilize it and keep it where it was. So it was a no brainer. So we finally, uh, you know, signed a deal last week, put a pen to the paper, attorneys and everything like that. So that's really exciting. So I'm in that 60 day transition period right now. So we're working through that right now. So I love it, man. This this is and obviously, you know, I, I hope nothing that you're saying is going over the audience's head because. You know, <laughs> yeah, I can you, slow down, you, too. You and I are just like, we're just talking and it's like, oh, damn. Oh, yeah, you're doing that. But, you know, I, I always try to remember that pe- some people are hearing these type of things. For the first right, time. right. Absolutely. But, but what, what you're, I mean, even your strategy on how you always try to have the seller retain some ownership, some equity in Correct. it. The reasons for it is exactly what I preach all the time. Yes. I do it every single time. I start off any conversation with a broker or a seller, letting them know that that is my 
typical investment strategy because there's multiple reasons there. You know, especially, especially since I'm always going to get some form of seller financing. Seller financing, exactly. You know, right? you want to, you want some seller financing as well. You know, exactly. So if I'm gonna get some form of seller financing, you gotta trust that I can continue to grow the business, but I Correct. also gotta trust that everything you've been telling me, even though I'm doing my financial due diligence and all, is accurate. And now you got skin in the game. Plus, you could benefit even more as I grow it. So absolutely. 100%. If some if one tell, if someone tells me they want to sell 100 percent and they're not, you know, the reason isn't because they're older, elderly, or, or sick. I get scared because I'm like, if this is such a great company, why would you not want to retain some equity retain some and allow me to continue to grow it? So that's that right there is a, a red flag for me, and I get scared mm-hmm. away. Right. Another thing that I do, even in my strategy, and then I go to I go to my roll up too. But another mm-hmm. thing I even do in my strategy is. I I work with a company. I work with a bank called Webster Bank. It was formerly known as Sterling National Bank. My bankers came to my office one day, and we were sitting down and we were talking. They wanted to understand, you know, a little bit more about you know my strategy and what I was doing. When I told them my strategy and everything, they they fell in love with it to the point where two of my bankers actually are my are, are my advisors as well, right? Nice. So <laughs> my nice. bankers, they, my bankers, they come to you know they come to certain meetings with me sometimes, and you know. If my bankers tell me the deal isn't good, I don't go. I don't move forward with the deal because they, they're going to they're gonna be the ones that even finance a good portion of the deal, right? Yeah, so yeah. I let my so I get my bankers involved early. I get my CPA involved early, early. because it help it, it, you know it helps with my due diligence and everything like that. Now I obviously do the initial due diligence, but I let them you know come in early so that way we can you know kind of knock the deal off. Another yeah. thing, bees, is what I do is I don't take any direct positions in any of the companies that I acquire. Um, I either bring on CEOs, bring on CFOs, or retain their CEOs or, or move somebody up that was a CEO in a different position in the company. I do not, I, and I'm just saying this to you and your audience, I don't care to be the CEO of any of my don't want to. You can have the CEO title. I've there hired and fired CEOs. It's a glorified job that I do not want. Okay, (laughs) you can call me the janitor and I'll be happy with that title. I do not want to be the CEO of any of the companies that I own. Mm -hmm. I actually, you know, I I bring in people. Another thing that we do in our approach as well is we take the descent. We take a decentralized approach, which basically means that, you know, we're we're pretty much when we when we bring on a team or we, we acquire a company. We allow that company to run independent of itself, right? And just continue to do what it does. And we're just pretty much just the support tank that they'll need if yeah. they support or anything like that. And we allow, you know, them to be a part of the decision making as well. Cause it's very important to have their input because they're the boots on the ground. Of right. So we, so we bring them into our decision making. We'll form a board around them and allow someone from at least one or two people from their their management team to sit on our, to sit on a board that we create comprised of myself and maybe a partner or two. So that's another thing that we do. And then we try to, we try to bring everything kind of in-house from all of the accounting and the lawyers. Like we try to use our own team, you know, mm-hmm. because they, I know that they have our best interests at heart. Right. So that's kind of how we do it. Listen, I'm loving this man. Now, First of all, same thing here. People hear me say it all day long. I don't want to be the CEO of nothing. No, sir. No, sir. I, I want to be the investor. I'm working above the business. Yes, sir. I, I'll have the people in and even on the business, but then I'll just collect my my revenue, my my profit. That's correct. And I'll do it from multiple 
businesses. That's why we make we make a business out of acquiring other businesses. Correct. So hundred percent. Now now listen though. So my my approach in acquisitions is developing into your approach. Mm And the reason why I didn't go there yet is because I was happy in the under $5 million acquisition, right? right. I'm, it's like a sweet spot. It's like, hey, right. this is the perfect sweet spot of they haven't done and they, they've done enough to get to seven figures, but they haven't right. done enough to really grow yet. And I could come in and easily increase uh, profitability overall, et cetera. Now, when it comes to your approach, mm-hmm. although we still doing LBOs, Yep. You need a lot more like investment bankers for funding, for That's financing correct. the deal, that type That's of correct. stuff. Right? That's correct. Yep. Explain that part of it, right? The sure. financing, how you're raising so much money. Is that just really sure. all your connections as opposed to any other aspect to get it done? Gotcha. So um, <clears throat> I noticed that it's it's not easier to get funding, but I know the SBA only goes up to a certain amount of funding, Five right? Million. When it comes to, you know, financing these transactions. Yeah. And I knew that, you know, I wanted to build, you know, a big portfolio pretty fast and utilize, you know, some of these big companies that have, you know, a ton of relationships and things like that. So what I noticed was private equity firms, they have a, they have a floor in terms of companies that they look for and they like to be in the little lower middle market space. So yeah. I, so I modeled my, my, I guess thesis behind what they like. So I look for companies that have a base of 10 million in revenue, 2 million in EBITDA. So if I find a company that has 10 million revenue, at least 2 million in EBITDA, I know that's it's pretty much easily financeable through a private equity firm. And I can go mm-hmm. to any private, private equity firm and present a deal to them. So that was my reason behind going that, that route. And, mm-hmm. you know, I know that if I bring a company that's either 10 million, 50 million, 80 million, I can still go to the same circle of people that I normally go to in the private equity sector, as long as that EBITDA is there and I can get a multiple on that EBITDA, right? Sometimes. So normally some private equity firms, depending on, you know, they can probably do like three turns on EBITDA, four turns on EBITDA, right? Which means that, you know, and when I say three or four turns, that means that they'll give you three or four times what that EBITDA is in a a check size. So Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, I can get really creative with seller financing or, you know, how much skin in the game that I'll actually have to put in, or is there something that I could, you know, use the finances. So yeah. what I do is I look at, you know, I'll look at how this cap table would look, right? So how, yeah. how, how what type of, you know, financing, how's that financing going to look right from senior financing, which will probably come from my bank. That's more conservative. That'll do one to one and a half times uh, mm-hmm. the EBITDA. And then I'll bring in something in the subordinate, you know, space or, you know, mezzanine space, which will come in to be like my private equity people. Right. And I know that they'll do three to three and a half, maybe four times, depending on how aggressive they want to be. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then where I come into how much capital outlay that I will have to come in to kind of break that gap and make it work. Right. Or if I have to go back to the seller and say, hey, listen, here's a financing that we can get. Take take this much off the table in exchange for that take a little more equity so that we can still make the deal work right and frame the deal out. So that's kind of how, you know, we'll go about doing it. So working with private equity firms, believe it or not, they like working with, you know, sponsors like or independent sponsors, if that's what they call it, um, mm-hmm. like us, right? Mm-hmm. I don't really consider myself an independent sponsor because I do put cash in the deals that I do. So I'm still a sponsor. Um, but they love working with people like us because one of the, one of the issues with private equity firms is deal flow. 
right? So they mm. want to see that deal flow as well. So if you can bring deal flow and they can, you know, private equity firms, what they hate to do is they hate to have a ton of dry powder and dry powder is the, you know, cash that's not invested. Yeah. They don't, they don't want to have that. They don't want to have too much dry powder just sitting and not working. Right. So they, if we bring deals to them in their, in their range, right. And there's not a lot of, one of the things with, with, with private equity firms, I will tell you is the, 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 the due diligence on your side and their side is you can piggyback off of their due diligence, mm. but you have to do a lot more. Like you have to get, they, they require you to have a Q of V, a quality of earnings, right. Mm. From a, from a reputable um, auditor or accounting mm. firm to do mm. their quality of earnings. So, you know, you figure depending on who you go at, quality of earnings can run you anywhere from thirty to fifty thousand. Now you can either, you know, pay that cost yourself or you can, you know, pass that bill on to the seller if they know for a, a, for a fact that they're gonna sell. But you can also tell them, hey, listen, you should need you should get this anyway, so that way it can kind of solidify the numbers that you're giving. Right. Yeah. So that way you can't people can't argue with your numbers at that point because you have a reputable accounting firm or auditor auditing your you, you know your books. So you know, normally it's not hard to pass that cost on to them, right? So yeah. that's kind of how I do it with our private equity firms. But again, their due diligence is a little more, you know, intense, but you can piggyback off of their due diligence because they'll even open your eyes as to why you should, shouldn't, what to look for, what questions to ask that you probably yeah. didn't think of asking that may not be on, you know, your sheet or, or your, your, you know, your initial punch list. So I learned a lot doing that as well. I did want to do private a uh, private equity firm, but that was just a whole totally different story as to why yeah. I, I decided <laughs> to go against that route, right? But again, you you know you kind of piggyback off of their due diligence, and yeah. it, it really helps out, right? So I, I I would tell anybody that's looking to get into the space of you know bigger acquisitions and that ten million plus, it's friendly, right? Because it, you know it's a lower middle market; they love to play in that space. Yeah. You know, your bank, whoever you bank with, they have a lower middle market division that you probably weren't even aware of that yeah. will even that, that will even take your hand and walk you through, you know, their way of doing it for the lower middle market. Right. The only thing you got to work, watch out for. And I don't want to harp on this too long, too much longer. But the only thing you got to watch out for is when you go this route with private equity firms, they have they want you want to make sure it's, it's in a space that they don't have a lot of concentration. in. So, for example, you know, if they. You know, if they have a portfolio and that portfolio consists of eight car washes, don't bring another car wash. You know, too much concentration in that. And they'll tell you they'll turn you away just for that specific reason, because they have too much concentration in that one area. True that. True that. That's a very, very good tip, actually. And, and, you know, I tell people that at every phase of this, you're going to have a slightly different approach, slightly different speaking to slightly different type of financing, everything, because. I would assume you probably haven't really dealt much with family offices yet, but when you start doing the hundred million dollar acquisitions, mm-hmm. then you start going to the family offices. Correct. Right now, the middle market, the private equity firms are perfect for those. They're perfect. They're perfect. So yeah, and 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 then below that, when you get you know the the five million and under acquisitions that I was doing. I don't really have to go to anybody sometimes. No. Sometimes I'll just go to, I, go, I may go to like some of your friends and right. say, hey, you want in on this one or that type of stuff. But right. the the strategies, the, the the way that you get it funded, although it's the same kind of concept with the structure, mm-hmm. it's just where you're getting it from might be. So I love that. I love that, man. So I, I, first of all, I mean, 
I don't want us to start geeking out too much because we, we <laughs> can go deep in. And oh, man, yeah. We didn't even talk about, we, 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 you know what? It's time to go pop. We got to go. go. Let's go. Let's go. The, the whole AUM, the whole creating a $100 million portfolio. We need to talk about the pros, the opportunities, and the problems. So what right. would you say are the, well, I, it's kind of obvious, but what, what are the pros <laughs> of creating a $100 million AUM portfolio? One, the pros is, you know, you, 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 you're you able to create this, you know, this portfolio of, you know, if you if you go to diversify route, you, you have this diversified portfolio of companies that can weather any economic storm. Right. And it doesn't really hurt you because if one sector does bad, you have all of these other different sectors that can kind of balance out your portfolio. Right. Mm-hmm. Another pro is it's a little bit easier to raise more capital. People take you more seriously now because you, mm-hmm. you know you kind of reach that hundred million dollar threshold. Um, you know, you know, you're not a big fish, but you're not even you're not a small fish, right? You're, you're, you're somebody that you know they can actually have a serious conversation with in terms of how your portfolio is growing, right? Mm. So those are some of the you know some of the pros. Also, you know, you get to hire you know some really great great people. You get to you know you get to rub elbows with you know some really you know some people that have you know even bigger port because the, the truth of the matter is hundred million dollar portfolio, billion dollar portfolio. You're in the same circle of all of those people, right? So yeah. you know you're talking to the same people. So those are some of the pros of having you know a portfolio of that size of growing to a portfolio of that size, which I really which I really like. So and and then what would you say are some of the opportunities that are coming up as to why people should start thinking like this because AUM is a different concept, right? A lot it of is. times when, when I tell people that, yeah, I'm on, on, you know, my track right now is trying to get to a billion AUM. Mm-hmm. They're like, you trying to make a billion dollars? I was no. like, well, I am, but that's not what that means. That's not what that means, right? <laughs> like, right. So, so what would you say are some of the opportunities that's coming as to why ha- having this strat, this focus on <laughs> AUM and trying to create a large portfolio like that, what are the opportunities that we should take advantage of? Yeah, so some of the opportunities again is, you know, one, having that diversified portfolio, which is extremely important. Two, there's a lot of opportunities out there right now because we're coming to a quote unquote recession. So there's a lot of companies right now that are really perfect to create, to even grow to it to, you know, to this hundred million or, you know, to grow your AUM even faster and, and kind of have it stabilized and um, protected. One, 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 one perfect example, and I would like to dive on this a little bit later, if we have, if we have time is the food distribution space, which I'm really focused on right now. I'm doing the, I'm doing a roll up right now. And this is the opportune time to do that. The reason it's the opportune time to do that is because one, food costs are rising. Food distribution mm-hmm. companies do very, very well in, 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 in phases like this. On top of that, they, they also do extremely well in inflationary periods. So they're recession-proof mm-hmm. and they do well in inflationary periods. Case in point, how much yeah. is eggs right now? Eggs are probably like five, six dollars, right? Yes, yes. I wouldn't, right. call them, I wouldn't call them recession-proof. I call them recession-profitable. Recession profitable. You know what? I like that. There you go. Right? Recession profitable, right? So, you know, and that's the, those are some of the, you know, some of the opportunities that, that you have right now and to go towards building out your, you know, your portfolio. There's going to be a ton of deals right now. If anybody's even thinking about getting into the space, right now is the perfect time to do it. But kind of keep your focus on things that are like like B said, recession profitable, right? Mm-hmm. That that'll make you, you know, a lot of money during this during this time. 
Yeah. Now, <laughs> I know we're about to run into the big part right now. Which yeah, is my problem. favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the problems that you run into? Yeah, oh, my yeah. goodness. Uh, Listen, some of the problems that I'm even experiencing right now is, you know, regardless of what stage you're at, you're going to have people that, that truly don't believe in what you're doing. They're going to try to knock you off of what you're doing. They're going to tell you what you're doing is wrong. Managing, you know, having one of the one of the most important things that you'll have is, you know, having your, your systems and operations and, and, and procedures in place, your SOPs in place, because if you don't, you know, when you're acquiring all of these different companies, you're, you're acquiring a ton of different personalities and structures and people that they've done it their way for so long. So coming and trying to implement your strategy into these places sometimes causes problems, right? That you start, you get some resistance at the top and on the employee level, right? Cause you come in the, you know, not really change the way you're doing it, but enhance the way that they've been doing things, you know, to kind of put forth your vision, right? So those are some of the problems that and challenges that you'll run into. Other problems is even though that there are finance partners out there and banks out there and, you know, things like that, there are still companies that, you know, they may just look at you and say, this is not, you're not, you know, this, this, this may not work or you're not the right person or why yeah. you, you know, why are you doing this? Right. So those are some of the problems that, you know, that I even still face today. Right. And some challenges that I have, but with every problem is again, there's an opportunity, right. And there's a way to, you know, show people that listen, it may be a problem to you, to me, I can find a solution and do it better. So that's kind of, you know, some of the problems that I face, but listen, it's not easy building up to, even 10 million in AUM, 5 million in AUM, you know, it, it, every step, you know, there's a, there's, there's going to be some challenges. It's definitely not easy, but I, I, I you know, I employ anybody to stay the course, man. It, oh, it's yes. worth it. It is worth and, it. And perfect example, Reginald Lewis's first two major attempts, yeah. you was, know, failed miserably. Remember he was, he was on that one for like a year and a half courting them. And then at closing, is yep. when it, it that's when it, that's when it all fell. Yeah. So yeah, he still became a billionaire. He still became man, a billionaire, right? right? There we go. <laughs> so why did I name myself Young Reginald? Lewis? And that was gonna be my next question. Let's go. <laughs> why did I name myself Young Reginald Lewis? It's very simple, right? You all, you know, as a kid, you always want, you know, that role model or that superhero to look up to. And coming from where you and I came from, bees, there's not a lot of superheroes that look like us, right? So there's not a lot of and that's why I applaud you for what you're doing because th people need to see more people of color in this space. Mm. And I understood why Reginald Lewis wrote the book, Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? Because this 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 space right here, there's only two spaces that really make the world go wrong uh, around, and that's banking and insurance. You know, those are the two top giants, banking and insurance. Everything revolves around banking and insurance, right? Mm. So getting into the space and coming from wall street and understanding, you know, where all of the money is made and then understanding that you can go from zero to a hundred million in just a few acquisitions, or maybe even one acquisition, if you do it right. Right. You know, the Nabisco acquisition, for example, billion dollar, you know, acquisition. So I, I came out to Reginald Lewis because I, it was somebody that looked like me that understood that, you know, this is a, this is a game and he understood how to play the game. And he died at such a young age from from brain cancer, yeah. which I even invested in a brain cancer brain cancer company called Novax. This is a public traded company run by by a black doctor, Doctor Dwayne Irvin, out in California, who's a good friend of mine. So, you know, 
his legacy couldn't just die and stop there. He had he had he had daughters, you know, but again, that representation, I wanted to be that representation of what he could have still accomplished. And that's why I'm striving to accomplish what he's accomplished. So, you know, the young, the name Red, young Reginald Lewis means a lot to me because mm-hmm. not only do I have that role model or somebody that looks like me, that's been there and done it. He paved the road for, for you and I, right. Oh, yeah. to, to continue to go on that trajectory and on that path. So mm-hmm. that's why I picked that name. You know, I could have picked any other name and I said, you know what, I could have picked young Donald Trump. Right. But there wouldn't have been a good representation of me and my people. Young wow. Reginald Lewis is a better representation of myself, you know, that 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 don't give a crap attitude, that go getter, and not allowing anything to stop us to get to yeah. where we're trying to go. One hundred percent, man, and it, I I believe that to be the highest honor, even being mentioned in his realm, because you're already achieving. You're on that same path, bro. On the path, man. Yes, yes, and that is amazing. And I know when we were speaking before, you said that you know you've always kind of been, you know, quiet on social media and whatnot. Yeah, but, yeah. But like you said. People need to see more superheroes that look like they do, bro. They do, you know, man. So. I, I agree with you 100%, man. That's why, like I said, I applaud what you've been doing, man. I, Thank you, I follow you. You know, you got my, my, my support 110%, man, because you're exposing people to something that I wish I was exposed to earlier. Me too. You know? Me too. That's the reason why earlier. I'm hearing it. Had we known this when, well, you, you started earlier than me to be, yeah. but, but had I known this when I was 17 or man. so, man, listen, but my man. son, my son is 18, right? Uh-huh. And he, he just started college and he was like, dad, you know, I found a spot that a, a Japan, a sushi restaurant, you know, you think we could acquire it, blah, blah, blah. I found it. It's for sale. And I was like, you know, I don't really like restaurants that much, but if you're interested in, you know, getting the responsibility of managing it and I'll help you through what it takes to acquire and then to be an owner, et cetera. And, you know, his perspective was, well, girls love sushi. So this is great. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, you know, I was like, that's not the right reason to get into right. this, but it's still a powerful conversation that I'm having as a black man with my black son, 18 year old son to be talking about, oh, yeah, can we go acquire that one? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's that's powerful. It's, it is powerful, man. Like I said, we need we need more of us, you know, in this space. Another thing, too, that I that I realized and even growing into this, where I'm trying to go is it's, it's all it's also key to, you know, even if you don't want to start a private equity firm, kind of running like it. So I have we, we have GPC Holdings, which is, you know, kind of like my holdings company. And then I have GPC Investments, which is my investing arm that I, you know, make the investments through. And then I have GPC Management, which kind of manages, you know, everything. Right. So that's kind of the three layers that we have. Right. The holdings company, investment company and a management company and kind of keeps everything, you know, pretty good. Right. So everybody has a role. Manager manages everything. Investment company invests everywhere, and the holdings company just holds all of the assets, right? So yep, yep. it's kind of how we did it and how we're doing it, right? And uh, last thing, if, if it's okay, again to get to that hundred million in AUM, <laughs> we're doing a full distribution roll up right now. One of the companies that we're acquiring is a ninety-year-old company out in New York that's doing about eighty million in revenue right now. There's another one out in Florida that's doing about eighteen million in revenue. And then there's a there's one in um, where's the other one at? Yeah, New York, Florida. Oh gosh, where's the other one at? 
Oh, Georgia. Georgia, that's doing about 20, 28 million in, in revenue. So the reason I'm acquiring all of these companies, right, is you you, you can create what's called the, uh, in the same, you know, so I'm doing a roll-up yeah, strategy. Yeah. yeah, in the same space, I can create that. So we call it, you know, or the, you know, it's called economies of scale, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we create the so we create economies of scale. We can also share the distribution channels throughout all of the companies mm-hmm. that we're looking to acquire, right? So we can so easily break into those markets, introduce those products from the other two into mm-hmm. this market, and, and and vice versa, right? So that's kind of what we're doing. So my bankers were like, not only are you going into something that you know that does well in inflationary periods, recession, but now you get you can create this economies of scale, and mm-hmm. uh, we also are bringing in some proprietary inventory technology management that they don't have currently. Believe it or not, man, when you acquire these, you know, just a little tip, when you acquire these companies that's been around for like third gen, like third, fourth generation companies, but they still do stuff with pen and paper, right? Oh, yeah. Inventory management still pen and paper, man. I was surprised. I'm like, wait, you got to still oh, use yeah. pen and paper, right? So <laughs> that, that, you know, that in itself, we can create, you know, we can all, we can probably increase margins and create, prop, you know, increase profitability right. because we can account for some of the loss that they have. Right. Oh, yeah. So, uh, most 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 of those companies that, especially when you're dealing with, like you said, those third generation um, level companies and such, they, 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 I mean, we talk about as as young entrepreneurs, young business people, we know about funnels. Absolutely. We know about social media. We know about a variety of things that we just take for granted as, oh yeah, you should do that, but they're not being done in so many. They're other not companies. being done, man. They those are, not are quick turnarounds. Those, those are quick turnarounds, right? Yeah, those are yeah. quick things right there, man. Then you bring, you know, you you, you bring technology in the mix, and it mm-hmm. just makes things even better. So, yeah. Yes, so sir. that you know, that's kind of what we're doing, man. That's kind of our strategy and where we're kind of going. It's working so far. You know, we'll. You know, my goal is to be at that hundred million AUM. You know, Q two, Q three of this year, which we're gonna hit, guaranteed, gonna hit that, man. And we're just gonna keep going from there, man. So, so listen, I got because of. This conversation, yeah, um, sure. what I started doing recently, well, not because of this conversation, but what I started doing recently is anytime I get a guest on the show, I'm actually giving them deals. I'm giving them because there's so many, right? There's and a lot of deals. Deal, my deal board is is insane. Okay. So I, I'll find things for people and I'll say, okay, well, I know that you're in, you're in the automotive business. Here's an automotive thing in your city that I found, blah, blah, blah. Here, you go ahead and handle it on your own, right? Just love give it, it, love it, love it, love it. Now, I couldn't think of, I, I couldn't think of anything for you at the time because I was like, well, Shahid already doing his thing, so I don't need yeah. to give him one. But as we were talking, I have one for you. It's one that I'm going after. It's a okay. $2 million um, top-line revenue, $2 million EBITDA, approximately $2 million EBITDA, just like you were mentioning. And I'm yep. like, okay. Shahid and I need to go in on that. Okay, I like uh, it. We'll, we'll talk offline about. Yeah, what tell it me is, more, man. Tell me more. Yeah, tell yeah, me more. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really. No this opportunity is really good too. You gonna like? Really? It. Oh yeah, <laughs> man. Listen, listen. Help me. Listen. Help me get to that hundred million even faster, man. Come on. You know what I mean? And you know? it's not. It's not in your realm with the roll up. What you're mm-hmm. doing with the food stuff, but this is another great one. A lot of growth opportunity. Numbers okay. look good. So yeah, and, and there's certain things that we could do when you have. That's another strategy that I, I started focusing on more, right? When you have a certain level of top line revenue, uh, you have access to so much more capital, right? You do. So most people think, oh yeah, but it's, it's 20 million in revenue, but it's only, you know, it's less than 2 million in, in profit. So you're probably not going to get that much funding. Banks don't look at how much money you keep. Banks no. look at how much money you're running through the bank. 
Correct. So they're looking at that top line revenue, and now you could utilize that to go get tons of funding to help acquire other businesses related very to easily. that one and continue growing and growing and growing. Very, very easily. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Very easily. Yes, right. we, I, I'm we, excited we, to hear about that deal that you have. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'll, I'll probably, I don't know, it probably won't be right after this call because I got another meeting I got to get to, but no we, I, I'm, a, I'm but maybe by tonight, I'm going to send you a message we're going to start well, talking Listen, about man, I, I'm up to sometimes 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, man, so feel free. <laughs> feel free to call Let's me and go. text anytime, bro. Let's go. Let's go. So I'll say this, too. Since we, we, we're close to the end, there's so much more you and I could talk about for oh, sure. Oh, man, yes. <laughs> but we'll, we'll save that for part two of this because there, there will be a part two. I need it to be, man. Absolutely. Now, now, I don't have to ask you this question. And you might actually get there before me. <laughs> but I ask everybody that comes on here, listen, I have something called a trillion dollar table challenge. The trillion dollar table challenge by the end of this decade, seven more years to go. I want to sit at in a room at a table with people who look like us and we have a combined trillion dollars AUM. Listen, let's do it, bro. You you heard it. Wait, wait, you you heard of the billion dollar round table, right? Yeah, I've heard of it and I'm surprised. Okay. All right. Go. So we're doing we're doing a trillion dollar round table. Trillion I love dollar it, round table. I love it. I love it. I, I'm gonna be a part of it, man. We're gonna we're gonna be there together, trust me. I love it, man. And we're in the path, we're in yes, the, sir. the realm of where it can be achievable because yes, through sir. business acquisitions, I see myself getting to a billion dollars AUM within this decade for sure. Absolutely. Right. So if I could Absolutely. get there and multiple people could get there. It ain't too far fetched for us to say that yes, we can sit at a table with a bunch of us that have a trillion dollars in AUM. Absolutely, I agree with you 100. You know, I'm I'm on that same road with you, man. We're gonna do it. Yes, sir. So, so usually, it. usually I tell people this and I ask the question: Will you be at that table? But I don't need to ask you because I know I am going be. to be at that table 1,000 <laughs> percent. I am going to be at that table first. Yeah, I am going to be at that table. He Shahid helping to build the table. He's the yes, one with the legs on it. I'm, I'm underneath it, building it right now, man. Trust me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> getting the legs yeah. together, making them strong. Let's get it, my brother, for sure. So, Shahid, tell the people where they can reach you, get in touch with you, learn more about absolutely, anything like absolutely. that. So, you can reach me on Instagram. That's the handle, Young Reginald Lewis. LinkedIn, Bailey, Shahid Bailey. Those are some of the you know easier places to reach me. I actually I, I respond faster on link. I'm always on LinkedIn, Instagram. Mm-hmm. You may see a little bit. B's got me turn my, got my wheels turned. I need to start being more active on Instagram. So you guys are gonna see me more active on Instagram. But you know LinkedIn, Shahid Bailey, IG, Young Reginald Lewis, and book Shahid Bailey. Shahid, can I get you on record right now? I, I need you to come speak to my community also. I know you came man, in and listened in listen, before, but you guys don't tell this message in there as well. Tell me when, man. You, you tell me when I'm there, man. Like I said, uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't miss this for anything, bro. So you know, bees, you're probably one of the few people that I say this to, man. You call, I'm there, bro. You call, you, I'm man, there. Brother. I appreciate you, man. And the, the feeling is mutual. Anything you need, I got you. Let's get it, man. Let's build. Let's show the community. Let's show everybody what we can do and what they is what they can do too. They see what's yes, possible. Sir. I'm excited, man. Thanks so much for having me. Same here, my brother. It's a pleasure speaking to you. Listen, everybody out. We, you just witnessed us exposing what it takes to create a hundred million dollar AUM portfolio. 
Shahid just laid it all out for you, right? And this is just the the, t- the beginning of it. We got so just much a, more to talk taste, about. Just a taste. This is a taste. Wait till you see what happens in part two. And the only way you're going to see what happens in part two is if you're subscribed to this channel, you're subscribed on the podcast, you like and turn on the notification bell and all of that so that you don't miss a single episode and especially don't miss part two of this discussion with Shahid Bailey, a.k.a. Young Reginald Lewis. Let's go. Go, let's go. All right. So this has been Entrepreneurship Exposed with your guy Bees and our guest Shahid Bailey. I will see y'all on the next episode.